So we're starting this new series today called Dunked. And I know immediately you're thinking, what a stupid name for some of you. And I get it. That just sounds so irreverent. Why did you pick the name Dunk? Why did you say it was a baptism series? And I think you're going to see over the course, after today especially, why I'm using the term dunked instead of baptism. And I want to just set out some, some rules for myself as we go through this series to let you know where I'm coming from. And hopefully it will relax you in listening to some of this and also will challenge you to take what the Word of God says. Some of us come from different backgrounds regarding baptism. Some of us come from different denominations and their teachings on baptism. Some of us have parents who have a different view of baptism than what we have. Some of us are trying to make a decision about to be baptized in the Lord, and we feel like if we make that decision, we're somehow betraying our family. And I understand that. So in the course of this series, when I'm talking about different groups and their thoughts on the denominational thoughts, it is not to offend. It is not to make you feel uncomfortable or make you stand out. You see, my belief is if it's truth, it shouldn't make you embarrassed anyway, right? So if, it, if it's a statement that is true, then I want to live by it. If it's something that's wrong, then I want to be open enough to receive what is truth and to, to take that away and no longer follow it. Would you think that you're that sort of honest person with your heart? Would you want to follow a tradition that would be contrary to Scripture? Would you want to do something in your heart that you knew that was wrong according to what Jesus wanted you to do? Or do you have a real desire within your heart to follow after Jesus, and no matter where it leads, that that's where you'll go? See, isn't that really the bottom line anyway? Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, that's where I want to go. And so in this series, I'm using the word dunked, and I'll use the word immersion, and I'll sometimes use the word baptism, because that's just... They're just going to be interchangeable to me. But you'll see in just a moment why I'm using the term. And it's bring this out. So the first question is, why do we even need this series? Well, I think it's needed. First of all, it's needed. There's so many people who need Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sins. Amen? They need to repent, turn their hearts away from the world, give their life to Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, live their life for him forever. There are people in our world, perhaps even you here today, who need to make that decision. There's a need in your life for Jesus. So you're going to find this series, and even today, the beginning points, hopefully those seeds that are planted in your heart to help you find Jesus Christ. A second reason is because of the methods. Would you agree with me that there's different methods of baptism today? How do we reach the point of immersion and sprinkling and pouring or what's called the dry baptism, not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is from people who follow after Jesus, who have a sincere faith, a sincere love for Jesus Christ and for God and want to go to heaven. How how do we get to so many different methods? It's interesting, isn't it? What are the methods? There's a reason that we need to study this, to be dunked, because we need to know, I believe, what Jesus wants us to do to be followers of him. Third reason is to learn. 
Those of you who are geeks and love history and love facts, you're going to love this lesson today. Those of you who are absolutely bored with history and are not geeks, you're going to look at me and go, man, what happened to him? (laughs) There's going to be so much information given today from so many different sources that that you'll try to write it down, but you can also go back, and these slides are on the web podcast as well. It's in our mobile unit, so you can go back and look at them as well. But I'm going to use sources from different groups to show where we are today. So you've been a Christian for a long time. You've been immersed in Christ, and you say, well, what, why do I need to listen to this? Well, maybe it will help refresh your own faith. Hopefully, you'll run into people who are not yet Christians who need God, and you'll be able to help them. And sometimes when the whole issue comes up and you're just talking among people, other people about this idea of baptism, the information from this will help you as well to give you some more information to help you study more about the beauty, the beauty of being aligned with Jesus Christ and being part of his covenant people and the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection as is played out in the beautiful symbol of baptism. So there's some things I hope you learn today. The fourth reason why it's needed, though, is the word salvation. And this is really the most important thing when I think about it. Is dunked in the name of Jesus Christ a salvation issue or not? Is baptized, washing away my sins in the water of Christ by the act of repentance an issue of salvation or not? Now you have both extremes today, don't you? You have the one group that says baptism is absolutely not essential. It's something you can do for confirmation. It's something that you can do for the idea of joining the church, but it's not essential for salvation. Then you have the other group who are the techno-technical people that if you don't do it right and say it right and get it all right, then it doesn't count. Ever know anyone like that? So you got two extremes. And then the other issue we have to deal with today is the, the group, just take a few minutes here, that says all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer. That's an interesting one to me. Do you know the history of the sinner's prayer? Let's just talk about it for just a moment. And here again, if it's truth, you're not going to be embarrassed by it, all right? If you just said the sinner's prayer, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Did you know it started in the 1700s at the Great Awakening? In the 1700s, 1700 years after Jesus Christ, in the Great Awakening in America, they started talking about opening the door in Revelation to receive Christ Jesus into your heart. In 1740, a guy named Eliezer Wheelock created what was called the mourner's bench. You know what the mourner's bench is? All those who were coming to worship that day who were not Christians had to sit on the mourner's bench to mourn over your sins. And the preacher would preach right at you to receive Jesus Christ into your heart and pray a prayer of forgiveness. Wheelock started that in 1740. 1830s, a guy named Charles Finney, who was a a preacher, known preacher of the time, Changed it from the mourner's bench to the anxious bench. You're on the anxious bench now. Mourners is too difficult. But you're anxious about your sin. So he would preach to the anxious bench. And he would invite Jesus Christ into your heart and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin so that you no longer have to be on the anxious bench. When confronted by that doctrine, he says, I know the Bible teaches you should be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins, forgiveness of your sins. But that's the way the apostles did it in the first century. That's how they had their public declaration of faith. We don't have to do that anymore today. The way we do public declaration is by acknowledging Christ in our life and receiving him for the forgiveness of our sins. He changed it. Just changed it. So now you come to Dwight Moody. Ever heard of Dwight Moody? 
1860s. Dwight Moody now calls it the inquiry room instead of the anxious bench. You now go into another room. And there the counselors will pray with you, and they will help you, and they will counsel you, and they will say a prayer for your forgiveness to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Are you with me? R.A. Torrey, who followed Dwight Moody, it's all lined, who followed Dwight Moody in Chicago, had street evangelism, the man on the street, salvation. It was instant salvation. I would come to you and ask you about your salvation, and then I would say a prayer with you for you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord because he died for your sins, to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and you were saved on the spot, R.A. Torrey. You come to the 1920s or 1930s, 1940s through 1950s. You ever heard of Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday and Billy Graham. Heard of those two bills? The four laws. Billy Sunday invented this, started this. You need Christ because you're a sinner. He died for your sins. Receive him in your heart as Lord and Savior. Receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the four spiritual laws. That's all you have to do to receive Jesus Christ in those crusades. Baptism never mentioned. 1940s, Billy Graham's converted out of one of those type of revivals. He preaches the four spiritual laws through packed stadiums throughout the United States and throughout the world. What do you have to do to receive Christ as Lord? You need a Savior. You need forgiveness. Christ died on the cross for your sins. Receive him as Lord. You receive salvation and eternal life. 1950s, a guy named Bill Bright. The Crusades for the Youth Crusades. Crusades for Christ. Puts together the four spiritual laws, and here's the, here's the sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And since the 1950s, that's the sinner's prayer that everyone pretty much says word for word anywhere else. In the 1960s, you ever heard the Living Bible Paraphrase? Living Bible Paraphrase came out in John 1, 11 through 13, in bold. It took one little sentence out of context to say this is where the four spiritual laws of the center prayers are located. Turn to this page and you'll find it. Now, can I just tell you something? None of that's in the Bible. None of that's in the New Testament. But do you see how things are built one thing after the other? Are you with me? It's there. It's just there to see. And so when I think about salvation, is dunking in the name of Jesus Christ essential for salvation, or do I just follow the traditions or what people have told me to do for the last couple hundred years or even more? And that's the point we need to make. So let's go back for a moment. This word for baptism, in the Hebrew, mikveh, mikveh, say it with me. It's a cool word, mikveh. Oh, you didn't sound like you loved it, right? McVeigh. It's in Genesis where God gathers the seas. It's the rising of the seas, the overwhelming waters, the plunging into water, the fact that you are under the water, you would have to plunge up out of it to stand up to get out of the water. That's the term that's used in terms of McVeigh. The Greek term is then used later. The Greek term is baptizo. Baptizo always meant to dip or to plunge or to dunk or to immerse. 
Now, today when we hear the word dip, it has a different association. But up to about the 1600s, the word dip was the same word as dunking or plunging, okay? Now, in the English, we have, in our Bibles, the word baptism. So how do we get the word baptism? Well, King James, when he was making his translation, two words that were controversial back then were the methods of baptism, because there were three different types, And not only that then, there was the idea of deacons, whether that should be an office or not. So both times he said, I just want you to do a semantic translation of it. Baptizo, spell it like it is in English. So you get the word baptism, which was a created word, okay? It was a a word coined so nobody would be offended by it. So whatever your uh, thoughts of baptism, where you'd see the word baptize, it wouldn't offend you. 1600s. King James Version, baptized. Now, let's go back and look at the meaning of the word. I'm sure all of you have heard this guy, Nicander. He's probably on your iTunes. 200 B.C., he's writing about how to make pickles. You want to know how to make pickles? Here it is. In order to make a pickle, the vegetable should, first of all, be dipped into boiling water and then baptized into the vinegar solution. All right? That's the way the word is used 200 years before Jesus is here. Same time that we're going to see the Pharisees and the Essenes and others are going to use it. But the word is quite clear 200 years before that if you use the word, this word for McVeigh or Greek, baptizo, you're plunging, you're dunking that pickle into the vinegar if you want a good pickle. Are you with me? That's the word. Okay. I told you I was going to be geeky today, didn't I? Now, this idea of dipping, how many of you like, this is the first picture, how many of you like slices of apple with caramel? Ah, me too. Only thing better would be peanut butter on it, but that's a different thing. (laughs) Caramel, when you take that slice of caramel and you have the dipping sauce, do you just kind of hit it a little bit? Unless you're on a diet, I know. But who's on a diet if you're eating dipping sauce, caramel with apples anyway, right? (laughs) You get as much as you can on that. Right? That's the first part. He's talking about what you do with the boiling water. pickle, And then the second one, how many of you have ever been to a dunking booth? And how many of you have ever been on the platform of a dunking booth? Okay. Any of you ever get wet when you're on the dunking booth? <laughs> how many, like me, have ever thrown and hit the target and the thing never went down? Bunch of cheaters at carnivals. That's all I got to tell you. They will sit there. They will insult you. They will call you all sorts of names, they will, right? They will belittle you. You'll hit the target and it still won't go down. But every once in a while, when the thing's not rigged, the thing will plunge the guy into the water. He's dunked in the dunking booth. And where do you usually see his face? Some little window right there usually. He's kind of, ugh, you know, he's angry, he's mad. Baptizo. Dunking booth. See, it's, it's very clear from that standpoint of the idea of being dunked. So now I want to go and look at some history here. The Catholic Encyclopedia. The Catholic Encyclopedia, because the Catholic Church is the one that changed it from immersion to pouring to sprinkling. Most of it came through that. On page 209 and page 261, when they're talking about baptism, here's what they say. The word baptism is derived from the Greek word bapto or baptizo, to wash or to immerse. Baptism is the ablution, which is the word washing, Perform with water. 
So now you have the word, this idea, to be immersed, to be dunked, Catholics are saying this, in the water for the purpose of being washed. All right? What else does it say? Go on. Notice the next thing. Question then is, if they're even saying that, the ones who changed it, how did baptism as a pouring of sprinkling instead of a dunking or immersion happen? How did we get to where we are today? Would you like to know that? Hope so, because that's what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, right? Here it is, all right? First of all, by teaching. Would you agree with me that teaching should be based upon the New Testament? If you're basing it on something other than the New Testament, would you agree with me that perhaps the teachings could go astray from what the New Testament teachings are? Teachings there. Look at some of the teachings here. Back to the encyclopedia again. Three forms of ablution, that's washing, have prevailed among Christians. And the church, that's interesting, holds them all to be valid. It doesn't say the Bible says they're all valid, but it says the church holds them to be valid. Here they are, immersion, he uses the other complicated terms, immersion, sprinkling, and pouring is what he's referring to there. The most ancient form, unquestionably, is what? Immersion. Dunking. They even agree, the ones who changed it. Now, go on to the next part. This is not only evident from the apostolic fathers, the ones who were after the apostles in the church, but also in the early church, the Latin, the Roman Catholic church, and the Greek Orthodox church. But it's also, they say, from the, the writings of Paul, who speaks of baptism as that bath or that dunking. And he gives Ephesians 5, 26, Romans 6, 4, Titus 3, verse 5. So there's some interesting things there. Continuing, notice what it says next. So how did this happen? In the Didache, written somewhere in the 100s, not really sure when, it talks about practices that the church was involved in. And in chapter 7 of the Didache, it talks about baptism. And it talks about it being immersion, being the dunking that we've been talking about. But then begins to have these qualifiers. If you're not around living water, which is running water like a river, then you can get baptized in still water. And if it's not cold water, you can use warm water. If you don't have enough water, just go ahead and use some, pour some water. See that? In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Just pour some water on them. So in the 150s, you already begin to have people in the church who are changing this, changing the Bible about what the word itself means. Are you with me? I think you are still, aren't you? Interesting, isn't it? Tradition, church, teaching. So then you have in the 300s, I thought this was interesting. Around the 300s, people start saying, okay, I need to be dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. I need to be baptized, immersed. There's no question about that. But if it's for the forgiveness of my sins, I'm going to wait as long as I can before I get baptized. In other words, I'm going to live it up, do every sin I can, and just before I die, I'm going to get baptized in the name of Jesus. So you have people waiting until the very last moment of their life for maximum benefit to sin in order to have the maximum benefit of baptism. Are, are you with me? Now, is that taught in the New Testament? <laughs> no, but it sure changed an entire thought process. Particularly when Emperor Constantine, who makes Christianity the official language, does the very same thing. Be baptized by Eusebius, deathbed baptism. So what's interesting about this is then you come to another teaching, Augustine, in the 350s. Now you have a real issue. If babies are born in sin, 
They've inherited the sins of Adam and Eve. And the mortality rate of infants is so high. If I love my baby enough, I'm going to do what? I'm going to make sure my baby's baptized as soon as it can be. And they did practice, practice full immersion baptism on babies at this point for the inherited sin that was in their life. And so now you have the teaching of infants being in sin, original sin. They have to be, in the name of Jesus, baptized early on in case they die. You see the teaching. From that, then, you have the clinical baptisms. What if the guy waited too long? He maxed out all of his sins but waited too long on the deathbed. He can't, if you put him in the water, he's going to die. That water's so cold, you can't immerse him underneath there. What are we going to do? We'll just pour some water on his head. We'll do, the, we'll do the compassionate thing. We'll pour some water on his head. We'll sprinkle him with water. Infants that were weak, that were sick, eventually in the Episcopalian church and other churches like that said, if the infant is weak and would not survive immersion, then we'll just sprinkle or pour some water on the infant's head. Because that's a compassionate thing to do. Because they are in sin. And so that's carried on. To the point, though, where eventually they said, well, it can just be all infants. And we're just going to sprinkle them or pour water on their head instead. Are, are you with me? To the point of John Wesley, who believed that immersion baptism for adults is what the New Testament taught. Who still practiced infant baptism and said it should only be for weak infants, was in the state of Georgia. And a, a couple asked him to baptize their healthy baby, and he refused. <laughs> and they put him on trial. And he had to leave because he refused to baptize a healthy baby. Isn't that interesting? I'm not offending, am I? I'm just, <laughs> hope not. It's just things that are there when you look at it. Now, that's the clinical aspect of it. So let's go now. Let's look at a couple other things. In the Latin church... Immersion seems to have prevailed into the 12th century, the 1100s, dunking for Jesus. After that time, it's found in some places, even as late as the 16th century, 1500s. Infusion and aspersion, sprinkling, pouring in sprinkling, however, were growing common in the 13th century and gradually prevailed in the Western church. Okay, so this is, we're talking 1100, 1200, 1500 years after the New Testament. All right? In the Latin church, oh, let me go to the next slide, sorry. The second one I want to talk about is architecture. Do you think architecture changes our religious traditions? Look at our building. Look at different church buildings you're in. Architecture. Did you know that the earliest Catholic churches have these huge baptismal pools available? Why do they have those? In the early church, they dunked people in the name of Jesus Christ. But architecture is interesting. Let me look at just a couple of things here. I may not, for time's sake, not read all of them. In the apostolic age, it begins, Catholic encyclopedia again. In Jewish times, baptism was administered at the seaside or in streams of pools of water. Notice the next slide. Indoor baptism, however, was not uncommon, and for the sake of both privacy and solemnity came to be the rule. Now notice, while right for the reverence, while reverence for the rite itself and for the water, which came in time to receive a special consecration. In other words, it, you used to just go to the river. It's just a river, Jordan River. There's nothing big deal about the Jordan River. It's just water. You just need water. Nothing big deal about the water. 
Nothing sacred about that, but over a period of time with architecture, the water that's now brought indoor to the church has to be a special water, a holy water, blessed by the priest. And that water has to be watched over because it's now consecrated water. See the difference? As this develops. And so a period of time, a later period for the preservation of the water. You had to have these ceremonial things that went with it. Look at the next slide. While the establishment of distinctly Christian places of worship, this font, that is the baptismal pool, became one of the most important adjuncts. In the east, it looked the form of a pool or cistern, similar to those of the baths, often larger and deep enough to permit total immersion. Dunking. Next slide. Immersion of children had come to be the rule, and as the practice was adopted too, in the case of adults, the fonts, that is the baptismal pools, were sometimes large enough for immersion. So you still have that going on, but now more and more children are being baptized. Next part, notice. In the 13th century, however, simple infusion came by degrees, the pouring. To be adopted and was generally used, the font became smaller and more shallow and was raised from the floor on piers or columns, kind of what you see now, the little baptism basins, all right? Move on. The older type of font continued, he says in Italy, and I'm going to... You can read it on your own. Is this right required for each person baptized? But a small quantity of water, as the water became less and less, the font generally took the simple form in smaller dimensions. See the difference there? Architecture. Third thing, traditions. This is interesting to me, how it changed. Sprinkling, pouring, accepted over immersion. Ever heard of John Calvin? 1500s, John Calvin, absolutely. You asked him, and he wrote it. Dunking is the New Testament form of baptism. But when he writes about it, here's what he says. But whether the person who is baptized be wholly immersed, whether thrice or once, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sometimes we were baptized, plunged under three times. Whether it's done once or three times, or whether water be only poured or sprinkled upon him, it's of no importance. Now how does John Calvin get to make that decision? Where did he get the authority to make that decision? Notice, so no importance. Churches ought to be left at liberty in this respect to act according to the differences of countries. The very word baptized, however, signifies to immerse, and it's certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. I know I'm preaching to the choir for many of us here. But isn't that interesting? Traditions... That people say, well, yeah, I know, I'm a reformer, but I don't think it's any important, so we're not going to do that anymore. It's no big deal. Who gets to make that decision? Let me speak through the next part. should save it for next week. It's so long. I'll try to do this fast. 200 years before Christ was on the earth, before John the baptizer, John the dunker, this series, all right? 200 years after the book of Malachi, you have the Pharisees and you have the religious leaders practicing immersion baptism, McVeigh baptism, the dunking, all right? Pre-New Testament times, and what you have are the following things. McVeigh immersion was the gathering of waters, straightway or rising. The idea of bending your knees and either holding your nose and going backwards all the way under and then jumping up, plunging out straightway or going forward and holding and going all the way under and then jumping back up again straight away. Isn't this beautiful what it says about Jesus? You miss the new translations. 
King James says it this way, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went straightway out of the water. Plunged under the water, dunked under the water, and just jumps out of the water. Isn't that cool? Y'all don't think that's cool? I think it's cool. I mean, it's just, just a great, great concept, what's going on there. So then you see this immersion. Going on the next slide, begin to see this. Men and women only, no children, were ever immersed. Only men and women who were converted to Judaism they had it measured, 200 gallons of water. Why 200 gallons of water? Because it took 100 gallons of water to immerse, fully immerse a, an adult. And they wanted to be on the safe side. So their baptismal pools were 200 gallons. Okay? Men and women only. The witness had to be a witness. And so when the person's baptized, if Jan, if you were the witness, they would just go, in the name of Jan, I baptize you. If it was uh, Bill, Jan, and Paul, in the name of Paul, Bill, and Jan, I baptize you. To Judaism, away from Catholicism, <laughs> out of Gentiles. Fourth thing, it was always for washing. It's the idea that you're washed. There's been an internal purification, a cleansing. Internal purification. And the next point is this. It was always accompanied by repentance. Anyone who was going to have the washing internally by the water had to have signs of repentance that they had changed. There had been a turnaround from, of, from that of the world and a turning to the Lord. And every one of them, as the rabbis write about this, say, if there's no repentance, it didn't make any difference. The water's of no value. The water's an outward sign of an internal change, of an internal change. All right. And let's go on. So here's the terms used. Born again, they were called, born anew, born from above, um, the idea of a new creation, the idea of being a little child or entering to the womb a second time. A second time. All right. I'm out of time. Chris, let me just scroll down. Just uh, go to the verses in uh, Luke. I hate to do this, but I'm going to just have to do that. Because uh, I'm not gonna be, it's not going to be fair to y'all. This is one, one situation. <laughs> Are you there? Thank you. Uh, keep going, going to the one about baptism. All right. I just want to ask you. We've seen traditions, teaching, architecture. All right. How do you know which one's right? What do you use as your guide? What are you going to use the guide? Traditions, church, architecture, or will you use the Bible as your guide? Which, which is, truthfully, which one is it going to be? But the Bible, the Word of God. Keep on going, Chris. I'm sorry. It's the one. It's the one in Luke about baptism. All right. It says that John came, and as he preaches. All right. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He went throughout that land of Jordan, and there are all these groups here that are already practicing this idea of baptism, immersion, dunking. Luke makes no effort to explain what baptism is. Everyone knows what he's referring to. It's a dunking. It comes from that 200 years of history prior to that. Everyone very familiar with what that means. It's water. It's the idea of being washed. Second phrase of repentance of repentance. It's a turning around. It's a declaration. The Lord is coming soon. We are declaring that we are repenting of the way of living for the world. We're going to live and anticipate the expectation of Jesus Christ or the Messiah coming to this earth. So there's the idea of repentance. Then the third thing is for the forgiveness of sins. The emphasis by John the Dunker was upon repentance and forgiveness of sins. Are you with me? The water, the baptism, 
was just the access to it. There had been an internal change, a desire to be purified, a desire to be cleansed and to be forgiven. How am I going to do that? I had to be dunked. I had to be baptized in water. And so this is what we're seeing today, interesting enough. So I just want to ask you today as I close this out, and I apologize for having too much material, and I, I really do, and not getting through it all today. We'll try to hit some of it later on. But I just want to get to the main point here. Your faith in Jesus Christ should lead you to the point of where you want to do what he's asked you to do, what he commands you to do. And I just want, to, want you to ask deep within your heart, Will you be willing to follow the New Testament over any traditions, teachings, or anything else you might have been exposed to and put the New Testament ahead of anything else and follow after his word and what it teaches you? And what it teaches is the beauty that we were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that our sins are washed away, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand in just a moment. 